The following program deals with a controversial subject. The theories expressed are not the only possible interpretation. Viewers are invited to make a judgment based on all available information. This is your captain speaking. We are beginning our descent into madness. are back to another edition of West of the Rocky Sound. Frank, thank you guys for sticking around. I know it's late for some of you out in the East Coast, but believe me, tonight we're going to make it worth your while, as opposed to any other night. <laughs> How you doing over there, Genevieve? Not bad, thank you very much. Pretty um, good. Um, as you can tell, I'm pretty excited about tonight's guest, right? You are, I seem really hyped there. You haven't even had an energy drink. Not a single energy drink. And the reason why is because tonight's guest is somebody that's very uh, 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 special to me in the sense that, you know, growing up, this was one of the... Uh, the stories that fascinated me. My dad used to buy all these books on aliens and UFOs, and I remember reading about this this particular case uh, of alien abduction. And you know, I'm I'm really excited that he's with us tonight. I have I have some questions that I received via email, as well as uh, some of my own questions. So even I, your dad was excited. Yeah, even my dad. <laughs> when I told him, he's like, "Yes, he's going to be on the show." <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm really happy to have him. I'm I'm, I'm actually going to bring him on the line. Uh, I have Mr. Travis Walton on the line. Travis, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be with us tonight. Uh, like I said, I, I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time coming, and. Um, as, uh, as I'm aware, uh, you probably get asked the same old questions every time, and, and this is a story that we're all familiar with, so we're going to try to uh, to ask maybe some of the, the questions that we hope, at least, uh, you know, are not too, uh, too, too uh, boring for you to, to answer. Uh, but uh, for the people that don't know, I'm going to give a quick summary of, of, uh, of what happened to you. Uh, back in November 5th, 1975, you were working in Arizona uh, uh, that's a group of, of, of seven men that were clearing some brush out there. And, uh, and on this particular night, around 6 p.m., you were heading back home when uh, you guys saw a, a, a strange light in the sky and you guys decided to investigate. Uh, upon arriving, you saw what looked like or what could be described as a UFO. And uh, you got out of the, of the truck that, that your group was traveling in to, to have a closer look, at which point you were struck by a beam of light. Uh, your, your, um, the, the other man in your group fled, uh, scared, believing that you, you could have been, you were probably dead. Um, they tried to come back, search for you. You couldn't be found for five days. And five days later, you turned up at a gas station. Uh, and this is one of those uh, rare cases of a abduction where there were actually witnesses that could corroborate that you indeed saw uh, a UFO and you were struck by a light. Uh, why don't you take us back briefly to, to that night? Well, uh, first uh, caught uh, sight of these uh, you know, little glimmers of lights coming through the trees. We knew this was something definitely out of the ordinary. You know, the woods at night are normally just dark. But Correct. We thought it might be deer hunters, and the closer we got, the more it just wasn't adding up. But when we got where we could, uh, you know, around the trees that were obscuring our view, there it was, and it was just unmistakable. 
You know, any theory that it was we were just seeing the planet Jupiter or Air Force helicopters or any of this silly stuff that people came up with, uh, just you know, it's it's just ridiculous because less than 100 feet away there was a clearly defined metallic disc hovering there. Now, uh, as we uh, as we all became familiar a few years later. In the movie Fire in the Sky, we we got a bit of a of a you know they gave the story your story your story the the Hollywood treatment, and it's funny because you have been quite vocal about how uh, this movie, particularly the abduction, uh, what you saw and experienced inside the craft, uh, was very different to what was portrayed in the movie. Why don't you tell me what were some of those differences? Well, you know they. Uh, the overall uh, impression was that the interior of the craft was organic and very cluttered when actually it was very mechanical and metallic and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rectilinear, you know, just uh, um, squared edges and flat surfaces. And, you know, um, uh, it was dimly lit. I guess that was one similarity to what the movie had, but... Uh, uh, I guess there's one sequence in the movie where, you know, the actor is held down on a table and there's a membrane over his face mm -hmm. that actually did a better job of portraying what what I was undergoing mm. uh, because, you know, I was feeling this panic setting in because I couldn't get enough air. I, I felt like I was suffocating. But if you showed an actor just breathing hard and looking scared, you wouldn't really get it like you do with, when the actor's got the membrane over his face. He's trying I to see. scream through the, the membrane. Yeah, because I, I remember when that movie came out. I was 12 years old when that movie came out, and I watched it with my dad. Uh, as I said at the top of the show, he was he was quite fascinated. He's always been fascinated by this topic, and uh, and I remember that my one of my <laughs> one of the questions that my dad wanted me to ask you is, you know, uh, aliens and UFOs for the most part, we think of them as being this highly advanced, you know, uh, uh, civilization. They, why was the UFO? Why did the UFO look more like a living thing as opposed to this high-tech piece of equipment? Well, that was a Hollywood treatment. It was actually a very, uh, you know, um, mechanical-looking disc. You know, it looked mm -hmm. like two pie pans put lip to lip. Only there were areas of it that were glowing. But other than that, it was, you know, the, the quintessential uh, uh, flying disc. One of the questions that I had was, when you got out of, out of the truck, were you compelled to get out? Did you feel like you were well, being drawn you know, to it? Steve and Alan, a couple of the other guys on the crew, said it looked to them like I was under outside control. But mm -hmm. it did not feel that way to me at all. You know, and, you know they argue that they could make me believe it was my idea. Mm. But it really did just seem like an impulse, you know, and it was in keeping with the character I had at the time to, you know, just, you know, satisfy my curiosity and uh, quite a bit of bravado that, you know, over the objections of the crew, they were you know, screaming at me to get back in the truck and get away from there, um, that uh, I went ahead and... Mm -hmm. and needed to get close to it. Now, prior to, to you having this experience, did you have any interest in UFOs or aliens? Well, you know, I was interested in everything. And, you know, actually, there had been an article in the paper about cattle mutilations a few weeks before. Mm -hmm. The subject had come up at work. But, man, we talked about everything at work, everything in the news, everything under the sun. So uh, I, I 
you know, kind of take exception to the idea, you know, that skeptics have that in order to be a really uh, credible witness, you have to have never heard of UFOs right. before. And I, I imagine at the time, uh, it was it was becoming an increasingly popular subject. So for somebody to be completely unaware of of this, it must have been pretty well, hard. I've never bought any books on the subject or ever gone to conferences or mm-hmm. you know anything of that nature. Uh, now, when uh, when you woke up inside the UFO, uh, you said that uh, uh, you woke up on, on on some kind of table or a gurney, and there were three beings around you. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting how you describe these these beings because uh, I think most of us have that, um, if I may say so, uh, the stereotypical image of what an alien is, right? Which is kind of small with those big black almond-shaped eyes. However, you describe these beings, uh, what stood out to you about them was precisely that, their eyes, but not because they were big almond-shaped black eyes, but because they had pupils and irises and and eyelids because you claimed you saw them blink. I've I've developed a theory about that. You know, since I was in their environment, and it was very dimly lit in there, mm-hmm. I think that maybe these these black almonds are actually just some sort of an eyeglass sort of a covering, like a sunglass. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, because any animal that we, you know, encounter on the earth that has oversized eyes it invariably lives way under the sea or in caves or it lives at night. It, it, their typical environment is a very low-light environment. Correct. So, you know, these beings being in their own uh, environment, you know, may have not had been necessary that they have that covering. And it's and that's um, it's funny that you mentioned that because in, in the movie and and I brought this up to uh, Genevieve, who's my co-host here tonight. Hi. <laughs> uh, uh, in the movie, we see that that what we you know what what people have uh, pretty much. Uh, uh, viewed as your typical alien it's actually a suit um, and you see yeah. these these that empty was the suits one confession to the, what I actually saw mm-hmm. and you know that was the one spoken word in the entire sequence uh, inside the craft space suits but I don't think they were wearing suits Okay, uh, and uh, I'm glad you say that because that actually goes with my next question. You said that these beings, the look on their face, uh, and, and, and you described the, their expression as frozen like a mask de- with a detached sort of look. Well, not uh, totally frozen. You know, mm-hmm. they seemed alive, but they didn't they seem to express any uh, kind of emotion that... Uh, seemed to react to my extreme terror and my threats and all that. It seemed, um, yeah, unemotional. Um, you also said that uh, uh, because when you woke up, you were surrounded by three of them, and you reached out and grabbed a, uh, something like a, a glass tube in your panic. Um, and you also mentioned that you pushed them away, and you described the feeling as that they were softer and lighter than, than what you expected. How tall and what was the, 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 the physical makeup of these uh, beings? What did they look like well, to you? Well, they were actually, you know, quite small. You know, you know the, the extreme fear I was experiencing, you know, had more to do with the strangeness of their appearance. Plus, I think the main thing was the panic that was caused by the feeling of suffocation. You know, it was very dimly lit, very cramped space, very humid. It was claustrophobic to the max. And, you know, uh, the only 
escape route was on the other side of them, so I felt very trapped. And mm-hmm. plus the pain and the feeling that I, I you know, of weakness that I couldn't, I couldn't hardly move was added to the fear. Uh, when you mentioned pain, what kind of pain were you feeling? Well, it was centered in my head and chest area, and I mm-hmm. really think that probably had mostly to do with being hit by that energy in that area. Mm-hmm. Although there could have been some effect due to uh, the atmosphere inside that craft might have not have been ideal for humans. Um, um, I was going to ask, um, do you think uh, the kind of feeling of suffocation was caused by a difference in atmosphere? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I do kind of think that way now, um, although it could have been injury due to that blast of energy because it was far more violent than what Paramount, uh, the, the Moose Studio, portrayed. You know, which is kind of ironic, you know, that with all the exaggerations and changes, they actually chose to play down something, you know, where you would think Hollywood would really, uh, you know, seize on the opportunity to have mm-hmm. a real light show, but it was, you know, this ball of energy was so intense that the crew immediately uh, concluded that it had killed me, and they were right. said they were, you know, yelling to each other, he's dead. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then when they left, uh, you know, Dwayne Smith told... Uh, Steve, that he says that he thought it uh, incinerated me or disintegrated me, and, and he says no. I saw him hit the ground. And then Ken said the greatest fear he had when he was returning was not that the craft was still lurking in the area, but you know what my body was going to look like laying oh, wow. all charred. So um, the kind of beam that that force. Um, do you think it was a weapon, some sort of like I don't know uh, if it's a laser, not, but you know. Dwayne Smith, he was one of the crew members in the back, and he he later became uh, an, an electrician mm-hmm. around industrial applications. And he said recently that it sounded to him like high voltage. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. that the, the kind of a noise it makes when... But, but you know, the, uh, one of the prominent UFO skeptics actually wrote a paper trying to explain the UFOs that are seen around aircraft as being due to this charge that builds up in the surface of the hull when they're traveling through the air at very high speeds. Mm -hmm. So one theory, you know, is that the UFO traveling at even greater speeds would would develop, you know, just airplanes develop millions of volts. To where, yeah. you know, when I was in private pilot training, we had to hook a ground wire to the craft before we got the fuel nozzle near the plane. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, there could have been that sort of a charge built up in it, or it could have been a charge that built up because they were powering up to, to leave. Because, you know, several of the crewmen said that it seemed like something was about to happen. Oh, wow. And... You know, it might have been that there was a charge of electricity. You know, that hair standing up on the back of my neck wasn't just fear. It might have been that this charge was building up. And see, when it it first started to move, I jumped forward and into a crouch because there was a log I could hide behind. Mm -hmm. And then when I stood up to run back to the truck, that closed the gap between the bottom of the craft and me. And okay. I think maybe the energy accidentally yeah. just jumped to me. Well, that's really interesting because I think uh, most people, I know I did, uh, we we were under the impression that, that you were targeted uh, as if like... they, they saw you uh, getting close and, and 
they shot this beam at you, but from what you're telling us, it sounds like maybe that was their way of yeah, preparing to get away. Yeah. Yeah, I thought maybe they perceived me as a threat at first, but now, you know, a lot of other factors make me believe that you know that that was accidental, because there's other things that show that they were not really disregarding my my safety. Mm-hmm. So you know, when I was returned. They didn't just dump me off in the woods any place, you know. Yeah. They, very they true. mean, here where I could get help. Very true. That is that is uh, very true. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's pretty much been answered, but it seems it was more kind of incidental <coughs> and something happened. And, I mean, I, I wouldn't know what exactly the reasoning was, but, you know, damage was done. They picked you up and then yeah. dropped you off again. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, at that point, rather than having, uh, you know, be blamed for the death of a human, uh, they might have chose to just bring me aboard for the purpose of resuscitating, reviving me. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, let me ask you something. What Do you have any idea, have you ever thought about what were they doing there? Why would this advanced race be in the middle of the woods with their um, spacecraft? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, I uh, wondered about that. Um, the there they were, it was discovered that the trees nearest where the craft had come down exhibited some phenomenal increase in growth. Mm-hmm. And there's quite a bit of ongoing research with that. But um, whether they were conducting some kind of an experiment there, or if that was just some side effect of their presence. I don't know. Or maybe there was an anomaly there that they were investigating. Who knows? Sorry, I was going to say, I was watching one of your uh, talks uh, from, I believe, last year's uh, MUFON conference. Uh, I may be mistaken, but you talked about this, and you said that the core samples of the trees showed rapid growth after the incident. Each tree was producing wood fiber at 36 times the previous, uh, from the previous 36 years. So there was a yeah. lot of radiation. There was a lot of energy in that, in that area. Something, something caused that. And, you know, when we were out there with the National Geographic crew, I found the stump of a tree that had been cut the year before the incident. So he, as a living tree, it had never been exposed to the presence of the craft. And the growth rings for this 200-year-old tree were, you know, uh, showed no sorts of, um, you know, accelerated growth during that entire 200-year period. Wow. Which is kind of benchmark for, you know, the normal conditions there. That is that is very very interesting. Uh, now, uh, one of the other things that you that you mentioned that we didn't get to see in the movie was that you were approached by a human-looking being with with some sort of crystal helmet. Uh, after yeah. you you kind of I don't know if the if the right term will be scared away the other three beings, but what what happened when this when when this human-looking being with with the crystal helmet approached you? Well, you know, I thought it was just somebody from some Earth agency at first. I thought it was just the Air Force or, you know, military or something just to rescue me. But I don't think that anymore. I really think that there are beings out there who look a lot like us. Mm. I also believe that these people that are called greys actually represent a variety of different beings that just happen to be similar in appearance. Hmm. Um, oh, my mind just went blank. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to read the book, but um, just going by the movie, it was portrayed that, you know, 
I mean, obviously you were scared, but also that the, you know, aliens were causing some sort of harm. And they obviously seemed to lack compassion. And they definitely didn't seem to be doing anything good. But from what you're saying, you seem to have a more positive outlook on this. And, you know, what's your view on this? Do you think they're they were harming you well, in any I came, way? I came, the, I came to that view over many, many years for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I really felt it was quite negative and, you know, the, and so the movie was kind of in keeping what I, with what I thought back then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in analyzing a, a number of factors that, you know, we might not have time to get into that, you know, that I think that, the, that they were actually just trying to revive me. Mm-hmm. It was more of an ambulance call than an abduction. Mm-hmm. Wow. And did you feel any, um, again, in the movie, you know, they, it seems like they're almost operating on you and, you know, maybe implanting something into your brain. Was anything like that visible or noticeable in the aftermath? Well, I had upper body x-rays and, and no foreign uh, devices were detected, mm-hmm. but uh, the electroencephalogram, the brainwave scan that I had yeah. at a very prestigious uh, brain hospital uh, showed uh, an anomaly that uh, we plan to do a follow-up on, see if that's still there, or see if uh, modern, you know, uh, neuroscientists could correlate that to the kind of damage you might have from a high-voltage electrocution or lightning strike or something. It's nice to know, though, that it's probably nothing, you know. They weren't being awful and horrible and... (laughs) Nasty. No, actually, I've been extremely healthy ever since. You know? Oh, wow. That's good. Uh, it could be a coincidence, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't called in sick one time in the last 39 years. Wow, maybe more people should do this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me ask I you. I would recommend it. <laughs> um, I want to ask you uh, when you described that this um, human looking being took you outside of the aircraft. It seems like you were in some type of hangar, and there were other UFOs, what we would call yeah. UFOs, um, in the general vicinity. Did, did you get a feeling like you were in another planet, or were you in outer space in some kind of mothership, or were you in, in another dimension? What, what was your impression of that? Boy, you know, all of the above. I, it was, I couldn't see outside. The, the light coming through the, the panels... It was uh, it wasn't a clear window. It was like a frosted surface. It could have even been a natural light producing sort of artificial light. But mm-hmm. whatever it was, it it seemed like you know a, an airplane hangar or maybe a uh, a part of a larger craft. Uh, and uh, it could have been anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. I could have been somewhere on the earth, a military base, or it could have been. You know, very, very far away. I, I, I don't know, even under the sea. Um, so how accurate was that depiction of kind of um, a weakened gravitational force? Was that completely fictional? No, no, if anything, you know, I speculated that maybe the feeling of weakness that I had staggering around trying to get off the table wasn't just because of the uh, incompatible atmosphere, mm-hmm. but maybe maybe the gravity was a little heavier in there. Yeah, you know, okay. Beings that would live uh, in a place where the atmosphere was so thick that there would be low light might have a heavier gravity. I don't know. Yeah. Now, during the making of the movie... Oh, sorry. 
I was just going to say I did feel a little stronger once I got outside the craft, but that could have been because of better air. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say that during uh, the making of the movie, uh, a gentleman came forward and said that he saw something in the distance that night. That he saw the glow of the craft. That he saw the the, the, the beam of, of light. And yeah. Paramount uh, flew him um, um, to L.A. They made him take two polygraph tests, right? And he yeah. passed the part about being there and seeing the craft. Uh, and, and I believe this gentleman was even a member of, of some kind of military intelligence agency. Uh, but he yeah. failed uh, uh, one part of the test. I can't remember what that was. Could you, do you, re- do you know who I'm talking about? The debunking organizations is, uh, is where he was. Uh, oh, wow. And so, you know, that uh, was it also was coincidental that he contacted me right before my uh, appearance on the Larry King show across mm. from number one detractor wow it just seemed very odd and then after that number one detractor uh, (laughs) passed away through the freedom of information act uh, i discovered that uh, his uh, he had been under investigation by the fbi for a number of things and that the matter was turned over to the cia so you know the uh, and there's a memo in the in the file wow effect um, so it's standard uh, CIA recruiting uh, technique to uh, get something over mm-hmm. someone in order to you know have a little leverage to control. Uh, on, on that same topic, uh, Steve Pierce was one of the gentlemen that was uh, with you the night that this incident happened. Uh, not too long ago, he came forth, and I believe he even joined you in, in one of your uh, speaking engagements, and he said. Uh, uh, that he was offered money to to uh, to basically come out saying that the whole thing was a lie, and that happened yeah. in the 70s, and it happened again when he surfaced in recent years. Do you have any idea who is the person or persons that? Yeah, the, the person that I was referring to, the debunker that was on the Larry King show with us, offered that money, and I, that. Uh, Report I put out in my book in 1977, and that was never disputed at the time when uh, that police officer that carried that bribe offer to uh, Steve Pierce's home uh, was still alive and, you know, could have easily been uh, a a quote obtained Mm. if he hadn't actually carried the bribe. Wow. So uh, it's obvious uh, that um, that was true. Because it was the the message was delivered by a police officer. Um, now Steve also said that uh, you know I mean it was it was a very uh, traumatic experience for him even just as a witness. He he says that he changed his name. He distanced himself as far as he could from from the incident. Uh, and the only reason why he got back into it was because of his, of his daughter's uh, interest in this story. But he he said things like, you know, he he couldn't go back into the woods. He he could he couldn't sleep at night. Uh, basically exhibiting uh, post traumatic stress syndrome uh, by you know textbook definition. Uh, is that something that you experience after yes, this uh, event? Yes, you know, all of us have been you know so powerfully affected that even after all these years. You know, recently the uh, Sci-Fi Channel did a 90-minute special about this case uh, called on Paranormal Witness. Mm. And, you know, of all the dozens of documentaries that have been done over the years, the interview technique I found very irritating at the time actually got 
to everybody, you know, to relive it in a way that is ex- very exceptional. You know, people can go on YouTube and see that mm-hmm. and see how it's really uh, had a powerful impact on our lives here 39 years later even. And as we're winding down on, on time, I, first of all, I want to thank you. Uh, and I just got uh, um, a few more uh, last questions for you, uh, which came via email. Uh, have they kept in touch with you? Well, uh, I recently had uh, an ex-police officer who had a friend who was a private detective try to locate Dwayne Smith, one of the guys on the crew, and I just found out yesterday that he's no longer with us. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So um, that was a great disappointment because we've already lost Alan Dallas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, two down, five to go. Who, guess, uh, who apparently... Uh, he wasn't too friendly with you, I guess, from what we could gather uh, from the movie. Yeah, we've had, we had uh, a few confrontations. Well, you know, Alan was kind of a, well, we were a rough bunch, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Alan and Mike got in a fist fight in the street in front of my house. It, <laughs> it was just, you know, and so it wasn't so far out for the police to suspect that the crew had murdered me. Right. But, you know, so they, you know, brought in the state police lie detector expert. And at the time, uh, the president of the American Polygraph Association said the odds were over a million to one of there ever being a mistake when you have six people passing tests on the same issue. Right. And that was back then, and now there's 16 passed tests in connection with this. I've passed five from three different examiners, all of them with many years of law enforcement experience. But, Uh you know, uh, Dr. Harder made the point at the time that if you had six witnesses saying that they'd seen, witnessed a murder, mm-hmm. you know, that's a conviction right there, even Correct. without a lie detector test. That is so, very true. You know, so even so the, the standards for witnesses in a death penalty case are either too low or they're uh, being kind of selective with it. when it comes to UFOs. Suddenly the standard's much higher than it takes to execute somebody. That is very true, and uh, the only reason why I could imagine they they took all these measures was just because of the of the extraordinary claims of what happened. Um, uh, uh, just of, uh, can I just ask, um, what are the sort of alternative theories that have maybe been thrown out there over the years? Because I mean, usually when well, one theory was that I was really just hallucinating mm-hmm. on drugs, so I mm-hmm. believe it was true. But mm-hmm. you know, I had uh, blood and urine samples through the county medical examiner's drug screen. Plus, uh, drug use was a question on several of my lie detector tests. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, another theory was that I'd had a transitory psychosis and mm-hmm. were temporarily insane. Yeah. Another theory was that the 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 hypnotist had planted these memories in my mind. Okay. But uh, what uh, all three of these alternative scenarios don't ever bother to ask is how did seven people yeah. have the same dilute? Mm-hmm. And that just doesn't happen. You know? And do you think some of the crazy theories about, I don't know, government carrying out experiments on a group of people, do you think that's at all plausible or do you think that's just ridiculous well you know I, I toyed around with that idea you know I, I googled um, uh, mind control mm-hmm. and I was astonished at the number of things you know I, I, but that would have to be pretty sophisticated mind yeah. control yeah plus they'd have to do a whole lot of other things like the the, the radiation and the vector magnetic yeah. readings that were taken at the site and you know but 
That would be a lot to go through for a story, yeah. It is kind of strange that somebody from military intelligence would be there nearby Mm -hmm. carrying a high-powered rifle. He's deer hunting, but, you know, it's just, you know, it's it's a little bit strange coincidence there. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other questions that we got via email was, uh, have you had any further encounters with aliens? Man, I get asked that so much. And I always duck that question. <laughs> no, actually, what I say is, if if I was to have another experience, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd tell anybody because, mm-hmm. you know, people say, "Oh, it's so great that you decided to come forward." Well, I just found out I had no choice. Right. Yeah. And I hid out with media and refused to do interviews for weeks, and and I found out that if I didn't do the interview, that you know the the story would still go forward, but you know it would be more negative because you know just the. The critics and the and the and the debunkers were, were had the field to themselves. And um, there was so much that was so easily refuted. If, mm-hmm. if you know, all I had to do was point people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, they can you know check themselves. Yeah. So kind of related to that, um, if you could kind of go back in time, knowing what happened, and you were able to change the course of events, would you? willingly choose to go through that again you know even just for the sake of human knowledge and experience you know, I, I, you know I, I have to say that if I had it to do over again I'd stay in the truck there would be wow. none of this would have happened I can imagine it's more than a little bit traumatic <laughs> and I think also the blowback you received afterwards I mean people questioning your um, sincerity and, and mm-hmm. how truthful you were oh, being yeah, that, can be taxing yeah, it's an ongoing trauma that cumulatively it's it actually outweighs the trauma of the original incident. It's just something that never goes away. I can never have my life back. Do you feel you've managed to turn it into something positive or at least reap as much positivity as you could over time from it? Yeah, I try. I try to, you know, you know, I've learned a lot about human nature and mm-hmm. you know, I mm-hmm. got to meet a lot of very interesting people. One of the questions uh, that we also got via email was, are there any plans to remake Fire in the Sky, this time without all the Hollywood embellishments? Yeah, I've talked to a number of uh, production companies, actually, that came to me because they were interested in it. But uh, I, I suspect that my interest in staying more strictly to what really happened uh, is discouraging for them because, you know... They don't realize just how much potential there is in what actually happened. I've got hundreds of emails from people who've read the book, who know what really happened, and they say that what they would much rather see what really happened than mm-hmm. anything that uh, Hollywood could substitute. Hmm. And uh, this, uh, the last question is actually one of mine, if, if I may be so uh, arrogant to do so. <laughs> um, uh, ben Hansen is, it's, has been on the show a few times, and, and he's, a, he's a friend of ours. And he, he told us that um, not too long ago, the two of you went back to the place where this event occurred. Uh, what, what was that like? What does it feel like when you go back to, to the very spot where you had this encounter? Well, you know, right after 9-11, I went back, I went to the site of the Twin Towers with uh, Tracy Torme, the screenwriter on the movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that scene of devastation is kind of the feeling I get when I go back to that. Wow. And it's not just the fact that there was a forest fire that went through there, but it was also sort of symbolically the devastation Mm -hmm. of my life. Yeah. So, 
it's it's a ground zero sort of feeling for sure wow that that is a, a very uh uh uh, thought-provoking comparison. Yeah, very mind-boggling. I, yeah. I don't think I'd, I think I'd freak out so much just thinking about that. Um, now, to wrap up, you're going to be uh, August 8th through the 11th. You're going to be at Contact in the Desert, the, this conference that's basically uh, it's the who's who of the, of the UFO uh, alien uh, research community. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they attend and, and, and they go hear you speak? Well, I'm going to give talks on several topics. You know, one of them, of course, will be my, my basic experience. But I'm also doing another one about, you know, things, some insight that I've gained into, you know, how to look at the subject in the overall and how you might approach evaluating various reports. And, you know, not just in UFOs, but, you know, in the paranormal in general. And, and you know, kind of a perspective on, you know, the the orthodoxy that's kind of taken over in science where, mm-hmm. you know, they they give lip service to the idea of open-mindedness, but uh, in many cases they don't live up to that. That is very true. That is very true. And uh, people can find you at your uh, website, right? Travis-Walton.com Yes, yeah. And they can order my book through there. Actually, that's about the only source mm-hmm. other than used copies online. But, you know, I'd also like for people to email me and express the the desire to see a, a, a more accurate remake of the movie because one day I'll put all those together and bring them to the studio and, and you know demonstrate that in addition to the thousands I've already got that there's quite a quite an interest out there in seeing uh, uh, what really happened depicted. So Absolutely. maybe people should get emailing or some sort of Kickstarter <laughs> petition. Actually, yeah, uh, contact. Through the website. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much, Travis. You, you've been you've been uh, really great, and I thank and you. I thank you for for being so generous with your time. Once again, Travis Walton. He'll be at the Contact in the Desert conference August eighth through the eleventh. Check out his website, travis-walton.com. Thank you so much, sir. And we hope to have you again in the future if that's possible. Yeah, well, sure. Thank you. Uh, uh, and thank you for an excellent interview. Oh, thank you Thank so you much. very much. Thank Enjoy you. the rest of your night. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Genevieve, talk to me, because this is, this is some deep stuff here. I mean, you know, whatever happened, whatever the theory behind it is, was, I, you know, you can't deny, or at least with a, a high probability you can say that he did experience something something that was life-changing right whether it was aliens whether it was something else how many lie detector tests did he say he took i mean well he's passed five up to date five and yeah i mean it's it's uh, yeah uh, to me it's just it's incredible that uh, i mean if the if the, the 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 fact alone that he hasn't changed his story since 1975 yeah and on top of that it's not I mean, it's the, not crazy. It doesn't sound hugely thick. Okay, it's it's pretty crazy, but it doesn't sound like he's trying to hype it up, make it seem super exciting. It's it's told in a pretty grounding way. It's told in fact. a matter of fact way, and even when you watch the movie, you can tell it's it's not a storyline that was written to be a movie, right? I mean, obviously they changed things a bit, but the basic concept was still the same. But the point I was making is that I still can't get my head around 
having to experience that. Like that I would true. just be crushed, like mentally. Like mm-hmm. there would be more than post-traumatic stress syndrome going right. on. Yeah. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna get our bearings back online here, <laughs> and we're gonna talk about we this didn't a little even more. Experience this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, it, it's a very fascinating case. Once again, I want to thank Travis Walton for calling in tonight because um, that, uh, it, it, like I said, since I was a kid, this has been one of the cases that constantly fascinates me. And I also want to send uh, a big thank you to Susan von Segren, who uh, is a, a person. I know. Uh, it's, uh, and you can tell it's a European name, so I probably am very terrible at pronouncing it. But I want to thank her for making this interview possible. Uh, we're going to throw it to a song. We're going to throw it to who else better to follow this up than uh, Jim Sullivan, his song UFO. Uh, we all know the story. If you don't, check out the Mixed Cloud, but it's a fascinating story. Uh, and we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, 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 what uh, Travis Walton shared with us yes. tonight <laughs> and uh, and we're going to keep the show rolling this is West of the Rockets on the Independent FM thank you guys for sticking around don't go away we still got a lot more coming up here we go
to the Rockies. Yeah, it's been an intense first, uh, what, like 40 minutes? <laughs> has, <it laughs> to has. say the least. Um, I would like to carry on talking more, but hopefully we can get Hopefully get we can him get him back, back. definitely. Uh, big thanks to Travis Walton. Uh, one of, honestly, if I may geek out now freely, one of my dream interviews <laughs> has just happened. So um, I want to thank Travis for that. Um, like I said, uh, uh, I, one of the, the cases that I've been fascinated with since I was a child. Um, very you had a few. Weird childhood. <laughs> I had a weird childhood. That, if, that, if those are right? your dreams when you're a kid, maybe <laughs> yeah, you, you can say you're a little weird. But no, it's true. I mean, I remember reading this stuff, and and, and, and not just in one of my dad's books, but uh, you know, this was a very popular case, and and, mm-hmm. and, and quite a few they would they would um, tell this story, and. Uh, uh, and like I said, what, what set it apart is a lot of times you hear about people have been abducted by aliens, and I'm not trying to uh, take any credit or, or importance or credibility, for that matter, from their experiences. But this is a case where it, it was a group of people. Uh, it was six other people yeah. that saw this. Mm-hmm. And that is very rare. And not just saw it, but passed all the tests. Mm-hmm. Um, they, if they were seeking some kind of publicity or or or, or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, like one of the simpler alternative theories, I guess, could be it was a UFO, but not an extraterrestrial mm-hmm. one, right? It might have been one of the many things that are apparently being developed and experimented on, and that is a common theory. And I guess at the end of the day, any one person, you know, experienced mm-hmm. the more intense experiences and i guess yeah you know it could have been caused by something else a hypnotherapist implanting things or you know when you get hit by something Mm -hmm. whether it's physical whether it's an electronic force there's you know stuff could plausibly happen to your brain to your memories old ones erased new ones formed Mm -hmm. so i guess that is possible but even then it makes you think okay if it was an extraterrestrial what was it yeah. Someone somewhere on Earth is developing this, and secondly, why? Let's let's just say, like, mm-hmm. for the sake of argument, someone in the government, some subunit of the government, is implanting thoughts into people and mind control, etc. Mm-hmm. Why would they go through this specific, you know, procedure in this specific in- case? That I mean, that's. A lot, at very least, a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of manpower to yeah. spend on something that's not going to get them anywhere. And that's okay, maybe <clears> it's an experiment, but I don't know. It's if it was one of those alternate theories, and that's a lot to factor in beyond that. And also, what's interesting was that this other uh, man that came forward years later when, when the movie was in production saying that he had witnesses and apparently he was he was a member of some military intelligence agency he passed a polygraph about everything about what he saw who he was except 
the part, as Travis said, that he was uh, part of the, I don't know what you want to call it, the group of people that were trying to, to uh, get them, Travis and his group, to say that the whole thing was fake. So as in he was la he was trying to cover up or yeah he was trying to cover up that he was passed. a member of that he, okay. <laughs> he passed everything else including seeing the object and all that mm -hmm. so there was something definitely out there in those woods that night um, and like I said this is a, a very very fascinating topic to me um, like I said I'm 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 so uh, um, happy that we, we got a chance to talk to Travis and hear some of the, the insight that I guess, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of times from, uh, you know, reading a text or watching a movie. Uh, for example, the idea that this UFO wasn't targeting him, but merely maybe in the process of taking off or something, right? Yeah, no, I, I quite like hearing that because, first of all, you know, if there's a possibility that there's malicious extraterrestrials, you know, that's pretty scary. It, it right. freaks you out. It makes you think, you know, shit, you know, anyone could be attacked at any point, you know, right now. Um, but secondly, it also seems to kind of align a little better with other stories you hear because mm -hmm. very seldomly do you hear stories about they were trying to attack me. Usually it's they took me away, maybe did something, maybe they weren't talking to it's me. It's almost like they were after, sometimes like they were guardian. looking for Yeah, sometimes and, a lot yeah. of them say they're kind of guardian beings mm -hmm. or curious beings i don't think i've ever really i mean i'm not like a huge aficionado about this but i've never really heard of anyone saying yeah they were awful they were trying to attack me they were you know hurting me physically mentally um normally they are not always positive but at least mm -hmm. not negative experiences yeah, that's no. what I feel, right? Yeah, you hear about they get taken away and they get put back in place, and nothing really happens beyond being freaked out a bit. Well, and also what's interesting is what he said that it, it almost felt like they were just making sure that he was alive and he was okay. And you know, the fact that and, you know it's 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 really interesting because these are things that I guess uh, you know I know I felt to think about is, is the fact that they did put him on the side of the road uh, near uh, you know like a gas station where he can make a call for help mm -hmm. which he did uh he called his best friend yeah and uh, his best well, friend thought it was like a prank actually, call. i should have probably asked this unless unless phones and in those times at gas stations <laughs> were free of mm -hmm. charge normally you need to put coins in America, no because right? well in the movie it shows that it was the operator if you you can make a collect call right and the person receiving oh. the call can choose to accept the charges or not i guess kind of like they do in prison I've kind of you've never been to prison. <laughs> I've never called from prison. <laughs> <laughs> you never called from prison. It's really bad when last my frame of reference. It's like you know when I you call from prison and you gotta yeah. <laughs> last time I was in prison, I was like, no, fuck this. I'm not talking to anyone. <laughs> wow. I hope uh, I will plead the fifth from now on in regards to that. But um, Let, let's make a disclaimer. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. That was totally a joke. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. But, you know, there's definitely a lot that we can take away from, from this story. Uh, I firmly believe Travis did see something in those woods. And uh, his, one of his friends, that, like I said, has come forward in, in recent years and uh, uh, has spoke about this. Um, uh, Stephen Pierce, you know, he... Um, you, you watch this interview and I remember a long time ago uh, I spoke to a man who... Uh, 
I was probably to a man once as well, but it was weird, so I just stick to listen, women now. Listen, listen, okay? <laughs> I spoke to, to a gentleman who uh, committed a, a very serious crime, which, you know, was uh, killing another man. He, he murdered somebody, and uh, you can tell a lot by a person's eyes. And I remember uh, uh, me and a, uh, a mutual friend, we were discussing about how you can see it in his eyes whenever the topic arises, you know, that it wasn't something obviously pleasant. So um, I was watching this interview uh, with Stephen Pierce, and when he talks about it, not, not only can you hear it in his voice that he's being truthful, but there's this look in his eyes that he, he did see something that changed his life forever, you know? And it wasn't pleasant, just, you know... Uh, Granted, Travis was the one that, that that bore the brunt of the uh, of the uh, encounter and and the traumatic uh, uh, aspects that go with it, but also his you know the the, the people he was with that witnessed it uh, had to you know suffer a lot of scrutiny and and a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, people judging them and calling them this that and the other other everything from liars to murderers. And uh, and I guess that's something that you know if if someone is seeking fame, <laughs> that's a lot to uh, you know uh, deal with for the sake of quote unquote fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, I yeah, like I mean, it seems that most I say normal, you know, in the general sense of the word, most normal people would see it as an unfortunate kind of incident yeah right it's kind of like my even if it's not necessarily ruined mm-hmm. my life has changed forever now absolutely and anything that involves a copious amount of press is never good i mean like not even the most famous of famous stars turn around and say yeah i love paparazzi i love people hassling me you know right so as much as you like attention and uh, you know, in my mind, if you go, if you're doing something for attention, then you're gonna make that story like crazy, out of this world. Right. I mean, I mean, okay, there's theories behind it. Maybe you tone it down just to make it believable, but still, like, it <clears throat> the story itself is pretty straightforward, and it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't sound like something that was written for Hollywood, right? Right. And if you were doing it for that reason, then you would make it like it was. That is very true, and I found interesting how he uh, he uh, uh, compares the uh, the scene in the movie where they put this membrane over the uh, the actor that's portraying um, Travis I, as. I like that because. Yeah, I guess how, sometimes how we take things literally. Well, the thing is, if if your sight is a bit, you know, like w- when you're kind of losing consciousness or a bit dizzy, nauseous, um, not steady in your feet, mm-hmm. one of the first things that kind of starts dissipating is your sight you know when you lose consciousness or when you're heady then now when i have a few beers (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know to me all the time you get a minor blackout right no it's true so um i'm not sure what i was going (laughs) i was quite getting at but the point was (laughs) you can't portray a feeling as a feeling in a movie right correct correct so they're like 
okay, this guy probably couldn't see much. That's what I was getting at because he was kind of losing consciousness right. because, the, you know, the air was probably lacking oxygen. I mm -hmm. can only assume, but it was probably lacking oxygen. He was swaying between unconsciousness and consciousness and all he could take in in terms of sensory information was feelings, you know, like right. not sight really. So they obviously had to portray... Um, a physical feeling in a visual way in the movie. So I think that part was clever. They say, how do we portray suffocation? We can't do it by suffocating the audience, so what we have to visually put across in the audience is something that would constrict air. And what they did is, like, you know, put that sheet over his face, or mm -hmm. his whole body, but his face was a significant part. Anyway, like... I thought that was a, <clears throat> one, at least one, like, kudos point to Hollywood right there. <laughs> Hollywood again. But honestly, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not saying it does justice to anyone mm -hmm. involved, um, unless maybe they got loads of money out of it. But um, it is a movie, right? If right. you're a you, at the end of the day, you are looking to make money, and well, I'm think, not saying I it's a good officially thing. Officially, it's they they said that it was adapted from Travis's book. Well, and that's what yeah. most you know so you kind of get these like adaptation. I know it's a broad term, but it gives them a lot yeah, of leeway you get these, to do whatever like, they want. Horror movies that are like based on a true story, and right. it's like yeah, there's like the name that's based on a true story. Mm -hmm. But um, a they are trying to make money. B <clears throat> maybe they're not UFO fanatics. They're just movie makers, screenwriters, and they have to do what they have to do. And right. it's not taking away from what was written, what was put in the book, um, mm -hmm. what this person experienced, but I think you have to, like, give and take a bit. And I'm sure, like, everyone involved understood that. Mm -hmm. But as I said, uh, you know, it still doesn't mean that they don't want another thing to be released that is more accurate. That's true. And, you know, honestly, I hope they make some kind of Kickstarter or definitely email Travis, let him know that yeah, you're behind this this project. Uh, hopefully, yeah, we'll uh, about do the making whole a, a, thing. a proper a proper representation of of his experience uh, with the Almost. the budget of um, Hollywood film. Yeah, and at the end, of the way I see it is, it's more it's like a recital of a story, but it's also a documentary, mm -hmm. kind of portrayed in a fictional type of way. Right. But it's it's still a documentary, right? Yeah. And If you approach it in that way and when you start watching something mm -hmm. like that, if you think to yourself, this is not for pure storytelling entertainment purposes, yeah. I'm, I'm trying the best I can to experience something that someone else has experienced. Yeah. All right. It's uh, top of the hour, so we're going to take a quick break. And tonight's musical selection actually comes uh, courtesy by the, uh, the folks over there at Light in the Attic Records. Uh, we have Matt... Um, Matt Sullivan here on the, on the show not too long ago discussing uh, one of their reissues, which was uh, Jim Sullivan's UFO. We just heard a selection from uh, that record earlier. And tonight I got another one. I mean, I don't know how these, these guys do it. They, they definitely find some very intriguing albums. And the backstory, it's just as mysterious as, as, as the album itself. So tonight we're going to play a track by uh, an artist named Lewis from his album called L'Amour. And if I may take a few minutes here to kind of read you a little bit of the, the, the story behind oh, this story. album. Okay. Story time here at West of the Rockies. <laughs> In 1983, a man named Lewis recorded an album named L'Amour. 
which was released on the unknown label R.A.W. Raw. And that's about all we know. The record itself is a delicate, whispered album reflecting the way the artist himself, spectral, movie star-like, almost disappears into the gray of the cover. It should come as no surprise that it uh, failed to shout loudly enough to be noticed another private press album that sank without a trace. There's almost no information about Lois or the album on the internet. There's precious little on the sleeve, a dedication to Sports Illustrated supermodel Christy Brinkley, a photo credit for Ed Culver, the noted LA punk rock photographer, and the credits for engineer Bob Kingsney and synth player Phil Lees. Wow, I'm totally stumbling <laughs> over the I think whole. once you start, you can't stop, right? <laughs> yeah. All that is known of Lewis is conjecture and rumor that he was a con artist who fled after not paying for the L'Amour photo shoot and a dubious theory that he was not actually of this earth. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> Uh, we need sound effects. Come we on. do need. We need somebody in here. What's it's just like button. once when I tried like uh, back in England to like do the whole sound effects thing, and after a few shows, I was like, I can't do this because there'd right. always be like ten seconds too late. Now, apparently, <laughs> to continue with this, apparently Lewis is a pseudonym. Uh, the man the photographer met was named Randall Wolf. He stayed. At at the Beverly Hills Hilton, drove a white convertible Mercedes, and dated a girl who looked like a model. He paid for his photo session with a Col uh, with Culver with a $250 check with bounce. Eventually, the trail led to Alberta, Canada, where the first LP had been found. Liner notes written by Jack Filchner, along with master detective Marcus Armstrong, found Randall's nephew, who remembered Randall as a stockbroker. His uh, vague recollections included a visit to Randall's apartment with all-white furniture and that beautiful girlfriend in place. Uh, crucially, he offered another name, another of Randall's pseudonyms, which led to a Vancouver studio and the revelation that Lewis had recorded three or four albums of soft religious music. Alas, even the new nom, The Plume, led only to dead ends. So we're going to listen to uh, one of my favorite tracks of this album, L'Amour, by Lewis. I don't know. To me, it sounds like some guy that made his money uh, selling that white stuff. Wheat flour. Correct. And uh, <laughs> But it's a very interesting album, non nonetheless. It's almost like this blues. I mean, it's a really interesting mix. I know you got to hear some of it. It was, it was like this bluesy acoustic guitar. It was chill. Over like it, it 80s synth pads. Talking, that'd be like, yeah, that's chill, bro. Yeah, so definitely uh, get comfortable, chill out. We got another hour west of the Rockies. Ernie is going to be calling in. Uh, yeah, in the second hour, we're going to talk to him for a bit, see what's new in the world of the haunted, down there in haunted Orange County. Uh, you know, that sounded like haunted. Haunted? I say haunted. Haunted? Haunted. Haunted. Well, you know. No, but I'm saying, like, interestingly, it sounded like haunted. Hmm. <laughs> Good point. Enjoy this. Lewis, this song is called Cool Night in Paris. This is West of the Rockies. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
What's up, guys? This is Jorge Diaz of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. Join me and Haunted Orange County Saturday night, August 9th at Heritage Square Museum in Los Angeles for yet another night of ghost hunting with some of your favorite sci-fi channel hosts. Joining us on the hunt will be Ben Hansen of Factor Faked and Dana Workman, host of Haunted Highway. Get a chance to investigate some of LA's oldest and most paranormally active mansions after dark all in one location. Tickets are available now. For more information and details, visit hauntedoc.com.
This is Jorge Diaz of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. And you're listening to West of the Rockies with Frank. This portion of the show is sponsored by Haunted Orange County, your premier source for all things haunted in and around OC. From haunted history ghost walks to ghost group hunting expeditions at some of SoCal's most haunted destinations. Make your fall plans early and book an upcoming tour or investigation today. Visit hauntedoc.com. second hour west of the rockies i'm frank thank you guys for sticking around don't forget to uh follow west of the rockies on twitter twitter.com forward slash w-o-t-r radio also like us on facebook facebook.com forward slash west of the rockies visit the website w-o-t-r radio.com as always i'm engineer frank on twitter jaime roque who couldn't be with us tonight he'll be back in a couple of weeks hopefully jaime roque on twitter genevieve what is your twitter handle it's Genevieve Ua G E N E V I E V E, right? Uh, <laughs> Ua, um, my Chinese name Y U W E Y. Those are names. I'm go. not trying to be like weird or pretentious. Genevieve they are genuinely Ua. just straight up my names. Yeah, and you. Uh, we should probably have a, a contact page on the on on the website so yeah. we can spare no, that, people of this. I, I used to have like crazy um, email names. That's G E M L W X Y Z. But again, yeah, no, I remember one day I, I was just like, fuck this. And I changed my email address to just GYF. Yeah. I'm like, nothing else. Don't need anything Easy else. enough. Yeah. And once again, big thanks to uh, Travis Walton for being with us in the first hour for that great interview. If you missed it, it'll be up on Mixcloud sometime soon. I know I've been a little lagging behind, but believe me, I'm, it's been it's been a busy few <laughs> few weeks. But uh, rest you. assured, we'll we'll uh, we'll have those uh, uh, up there ready for everyone to enjoy. Uh, and also, this segment is brought to you by uh, Haunted Orange County. We're going to be talking to Ernie in just a few minutes, uh, but uh, but first, oh gosh, but first, find out for me. <laughs> 
yes. Whenever the music comes on, people, Vivaldi by the Four Seasons, it's because it's that time for Genevieve's Urban Dictionary Corner. Is that is that the official name? Though? I don't know. I'm just every every week it varies slightly, <laughs> but uh, but we'll go with that for this week. If anybody has any Actually, suggestions, if anyone has a suge- suggestion for a, a kind of title for this segment, it needs a name. It needs a proper name. <laughs> Something catchy. It can be or- It can be an orphan segment. That's sad. Uh, that is very sad. Anyways, Genevieve, <laughs> take it away. What do you got today for uh, Urban Dictionary? Disclaimer, none of these were my choice. <laughs> okay. Word number one, hooters. What? Hooters. What? So apparently hooters... Hooters. ...are melons or jugs, balloons, implants, honkers, XL breasts. An example being... Oh, sweet mama, she got hooters. Can you say sucky, sucky, baby? (laughs) Another definition of hooters is what you have to look at when a girl is talking to you. That is very true. Sentence examples being hooters, hooters, yum, yum, yum. Hooters, hooters on a girl that's dumb. (laughs) Righty-ho. The next word I have, have thrown at me is swag. Originally from the Scottish slang word swagger, which was a description of the way some Scots walk in a swaying motion. The word was then misinterpreted by the English as the way someone presents themselves, e.g. whether someone looks cool. The word quickly made its way to the States and has ever since become the catchphrase of douchebags and tools everywhere. Sentence examples. Person number one. I think that guy off Jersey Shore has swag. Person number two, you're a dick. <laughs> Another definition of swag, oh, a stupid saying that's overused. People, 90% are dumb teenagers. Wow, that was a bad phrasing. Anyway, I'm just reading it as it is. People, 90% are dumb teenagers. 10% are little ass kids trying to be cool. Use it for everything. <laughs> I love it because it's supposed to be like little ass kids, but you're like little ass kids. <laughs> it just sounds funny. Go, Go ahead. Sorry. Um, little ass kids trying to be cool, use it for everything, and also as their Facebook name, thinking that shit's cute. I just opened a cabinet. Swag. I just <laughs> fell down, lol. Swag. Swagnificent. Your name. I don't give a fuck. Got swag. Lives in Swagtown. Works at Swagwill. <laughs> that show was so swag. I just finished oh, brushing dear. my teeth. Swag. Hey, guys, just woke up. Swag. Lol, I got kicked out of class. Swag. I cursed a teacher out. Swag. Okay, I'm not going to go through all these. You know, it's funny because I actually know people that do write as their, as their status. I'm not. I woke many. up this morning. Swag. <laughs> okay, the, I don't know why, the I'm, main why I'm laughing. Example. That's quite tragic. No, go, shh. Be quiet. <laughs> the main example is um, okay. So, you should I say it? Should we do this? All like right. that? Okay, okay, so I'll say the first. I got swag. That's because you're a fucking retard trying to be like the rest of the tryhards, thinking their dumbass have swag. <laughs> tryhards. That's a new one. I Gosh. like that. Okay, last one. Last Here we one. go. Here this we word go. is hipster. A hipster, is someone who is smart enough to talk about philosophy, music, politics, art, etc with you all day long but not smart enough to see how big of a tool she or he is <laughs> the only surefire way to tell someone you're talking to is in fact a hipster is to ask them 
are you a hipster? If they respond no and turn the cassette player back on, you can be sure you're dealing with a hipster. Example. Person number one. I met this really smart girl with a goofy haircut, but I think she's got Asperger's. Person number two. She probably she's probably just a hipster. <laughs> oh boy. Thank you, Genevieve, for entertaining us once again with a charming British accent reading these horrible, horrible words. <laughs> That's quite that was quite a lot to read this time. I know, but I couldn't help myself. There were, there were so many. Usually the ones I left out. Anyways, if you have a suggestion <laughs> that you want uh, here uh, to hear Genevieve say here in uh, our Urban Dictionary segment on West of the Rockies, definitely tweet us at WOTRradio.com. Tell us what the word is. And uh, believe me, Genevieve will do her best posh accent while she reads that's it not for my your enjoyment. Posh accent. That's just Actually, my that's accent. how she talks in real life, which is <laughs> even funnier. Anyways, I believe we got Mr. Ernie Alonso on the line. Ernie, are you there, sir? Hey, I'm here. How's it going? I'm doing. I'm. I'm. Yeah, where it's going. It's going good. It's. It's going great. I, I see you found another self to entertain yourself on the show. <laughs> <laughs> to, not me. To, for all the others to entertain. Yeah, themselves. pretty much. Uh, but yeah, it, it keeps. It keeps. Uh, it keeps the, the the show moving forward. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. So what's 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 cracking, Ernie? What's new in the world of the haunted? Well, we've got our uh, Heritage Square investigation coming up. On August the ninth, mm-hmm. uh, this is I think it's our fourth time there. Really? And uh, we yeah we keep going back because it's a great uh, it's a great spot. We always have uh, great uh, uh, evidence that comes out of it. And uh, this time we've got um, Ben Hansen, who we've had there uh, uh, once or twice before. But then we're all actually bringing on uh, Dana Workman. And uh, she's on Sci-Fi Channel's Haunted Highway. Oh, right, right, right. Opposite Jack Osborne. And um, I've met her once in Las Vegas. She's a great, uh, great lady and uh, uh, very interesting. Uh, definitely, she's uh, she's on a few different shows right now, but um, she's, uh, she's a great investigator, and she's going to be joining us. She's going to be taking... Um, uh, one of the groups. Uh, the way it works, those of you who haven't had a chance to uh, to attend one of these, is that we have about 60 people, and we break them up into groups of about 15. And uh, we station investigators in each of the houses, and um, then we rotate you through. You spend about an hour in, in, in each of the homes, and, um, you know, you get to uh, investigate different styles of investigating. And, uh, of course, you're welcome to bring your own equipment and, and do a little investigation uh, of your own, but it's a fun night. Uh, we have tickets on sale now. We're almost halfway sold out. We got a couple weeks to go. Uh, you can get tickets on hauntedoc.com, mm-hmm. and uh, we're also going to have uh, our friend uh, Jorge Diaz, who um, uh, came out in the uh, the last installment of Paranormal Activity right. movie. And um, he's uh, he's also coming. Uh, he, he finished shooting a movie a few months back um, called The Thirty Three. I think All we right. talked about it a little bit when we were on the show. And um, he's going to be joining us. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, not uh, you know kind of new to investigating, but uh, he's really into it and he, he loves it. And he's going to be joining us as well. We may have another another addition, another special guest to add, but um, you know we'll let you know. Um, once that uh, once that happens. Oh, sweet. Well, I I must say I was there for last year's investigation, 
and uh, I had a lot of fun. I, uh, just hearing people come in and out of the of the different houses that they were investigating, um, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, a positive feedback. Uh, uh, you know, the, there's definitely some some activity going on there. Uh, so I I encourage people to check it out. And can you tell me the dates one more time? Yeah, it's Saturday, August 9th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main event starts at eight, and then uh, the VIP. Uh, portion. If you get tickets for the VIP, that starts at seven. And uh, what's different from that? You get an extra hour of investigating. Uh, you get access to the VIP tent, um, signed photos of our guests, and a couple couple of other little perks. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a it's a fun time. Uh, we've got a lot of repeat people. Have, you know, done this almost every time we've uh, we've done. And um, you know, even though it's the same place, you always get something different. Uh, right. I have a lot to do. I think with the people that attend, the energy that's present. And, um, so so it's always a great time. And uh, tickets are uh, we've dropped a price on on our general admission tickets. They're sixty five dollars per person. Oh, cool. Eighty five. Very cool, very cool. So definitely if, uh, if uh, anyone's planning to be in the Southern California area or they live in the Southern California area, definitely make your way to, uh, to uh, Haunted Orange County, I believe is the website, correct, .com? Yeah, Haunted Orange County or HauntedOC.com. You can find us there. And um, we got that. We also have our uh, Haunted History Ghost Walks in Old Town Orange, downtown Santa Ana. Uh, we've got some lectures um, coming up. Um, we're going to be having one in uh, in October, mm-hmm. um, uh, done by Charles Charles Spratley, who's oh, a historian. Cool. Uh, it's going to be about vampires, and we'll have um, Gabrielle really? Walsh, who um, is uh, new to the Vampire Diary. She's going to be joining us um, as well. Oh, that's uh, exciting! Into it. And, uh, Can we all come dressed up as, as vampires? And, oh, this is exciting. Have and, we just invited? And, 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 <laughs> you just invite yourself. I just invited myself. That, that, for people that wonder, whenever there's a haunted Orange County event and they see me there, nine <laughs> times out of ten, I probably invited myself to it. I'm like, hey, Ernie, what's up? Yay, this is cool. Um, <laughs> but, no, but we, 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 we love having you guys. You, you guys are, uh, you know... Always welcome. Uh, no questions. Well, thank you, Ernie. So there, it's, it's going to be a <laughs> it's going to be a, a vampire uh, a talk on vampires. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, we're we're still designing it. It's going to have. It's, it's going to be basically uh, a brief history on uh, on vampirism, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, so so basically uh, folklore all the way to um, you know present day uh, people who. Say or consider themselves to be vampires, and then how it's kind of sprung this whole pop culture um, type sub. Yeah, it's quite a goth, goth cultural. Yeah, scene. and um, yeah, so we'll be we'll be having a talk on, on that soon. Uh, location still to, to be uh, determined. Um, we're also planning on having a um, a Latin themed Dia de los Muertos um, party. Oh, I'm October. all over that. Yeah, so there's a lot, you know, there's, a, there's a, you know, actually, there's not that many um, paranormal, um, you know, ghost hunting events going on in October. And I, I, that's I, weird. I know, that's odd. It is weird. I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's because all of the groups are thinking that, oh, there's somebody else who's going to do it. There's going to be too many things going on. Mm-hmm. But there's actually everyone's not. out partying. So, yeah. So what we're going to do is we're we're going to. We're going to take a stab at throwing a, a party, have a live band, a DJ, 
um, just, you know, create a nice party atmosphere. Nice. And, um, you know, see how that goes this year. And uh, if it's successful, you know, we'll, we'll make it a yearly thing. And where where is this, uh, this event going to take place? Uh, well, we're looking sure. at a couple of different, we're looking at a couple of different um, spots. Um, there is a restaurant in Fullerton. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, Angelo, and, <laughs> Angelo and Vinci's, um, which is itself a haunted restaurant. It's, it's oh, is that where, uh, I think, I think we've been there before, right? Where they have the, uh, it's like a two-story yeah, we had restaurant? Our, we had our dinner there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We had our, we had our little dinner there. At, uh, you know, oh, that's a great year. place. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you saw how big it was and there's different levels mm-hmm. and, um, a couple of great places to, to host parties in there. So um, we're thinking of that location. It kind of lends itself to that type of a party. So Very cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of cool things coming up. And, uh, you know, hope to see some of your listeners there. Definitely. But, uh, yeah. Well, I want to so, thank you, Ernie, because that uh, it sounds like there's a lot of interesting events coming up. And definitely keep us posted in all this. And, uh and uh, we're, we're looking forward to uh, checking out some of these things and, and having you back on the show, and, and hopefully we can uh, uh, share some of the evidence from, from some of these uh, upcoming investigations because, uh, uh, I mean, as far as the uh, Heritage Square, I know those, those houses are pretty active. Yeah, and we do, we do have a couple of clips from our last investigation that we had at the, uh, at the winery um, a couple of weeks mm, back. Right, and right. that was our first time there, so... Um, uh, I'm, ta- I'm talking to Jorge. Maybe uh, if you guys will have us, we'll stop in for for a little bit next weekend. And uh, yeah, absolutely. The upcoming one. So, me but show is uh, two show. But uh, but yes, thank you, Ernie, uh, for the update, and definitely we'll we'll keep checking with you and seeing what's new uh, with uh, Haunted Orange County. Okay, we'll see you guys. All right, take it easy, Bye, Ernie. Ernie. Enjoy the rest yeah, of your night. Show so far. Uh-huh. Thank right. you. Bye bye. That is Ernie Alonso from Haunted Orange County. Great guy. Definitely check out HauntedOrangeCounty.com. A lot of cool stuff. I'm telling you, if you come to to the LA area, you gotta. The events are picking up. I think that you gotta hook up with one of these events they're because they're they're really out. great. Like I'm telling you, one time there, you'll be you'll be a a, a, a fan of Haunted Orange for life. Uh, <laughs> definitely check out their Facebook page or follow them on Twitter and and um, and of course their website hauntedorangecounty.com. Now uh, there's a there's a few stories here that uh, have been quite interesting. And they kind of span the gamut. And I know we uh, we usually start the show with the stories. So now we're going to end with the stories because they're quite interesting, and also because we wanted to give Travis Walton uh, a, a chance to to uh, to tell us a, a bit about his experience. And like I said, if you missed it, that sucks. But rest assured that we'll have it on Mixcloud up soon. Um, now this story is—it's uh, uh, pretty close to home, and it's really interesting. Uh, I don't know how many people heard about this, but um, in, in Orange County, people were waking up to to finding these um, porcelain dolls sitting outside their homes. Uh, uh, you, you know, a lot of people were alarmed because apparently the dolls resemble to some degree. Uh, girls that, that lived inside that house and uh, a lot of people were quite spooked by it turns out someone's having an awesome time <laughs> <laughs> well it turns out that uh, it was it was a woman 
Oh, it was. Okay. It was a woman who was doing this as a gesture of goodwill. The police found the woman, questioned her, and she said, you know, that there was no ill intent of her on her behalf. She was just doing this, you know, out of the kindness of her heart. And uh, it kind of, <laughs> in a way, it gives us a little bit of insight how messed how up we are think, as a society. Right? Yeah. That, that but then we, again, the whole, like... That China doll thing. Well, the that, thing that, is that dolls that have a very negative connotation, yeah. yes. But, granted, a lot of that has been given through pop culture, right? Yeah. We all have seen well, the movies about haunted dolls. Even The Conjuring is but based... But the thing is, uh, not just rough, dolls. Any sort of, like, toy, whether humanoid or an mm-hmm. animal-like, you know, it's... You read something like um, Stephen King's, what is it, Graveyard or what is it called here? Cemetery? cemetery. Yeah, cemetery. Yeah, yeah, it's a cemetery of the animals. I, I don't know. I only know in German, so mm-hmm. I don't know how to translate it. Um, yeah, like anything that's like a stuffed toy, a plush mm-hmm. toy, a doll, um, does have scary auras attached to mm-hmm. it. So I, I get that. Like, Yeah. I, I don't think it's the messed up human psyche. That is pretty freaky. And the thing is, the fact that someone has been watching your family and knows their their, their see, facial see features good enough to then go ahead and make I a agree. doll that resembles well, them. I don't think she made them, but uh, even if she was, well, even if she bought them, she <laughs> she was analyzing this person's family picked out a girl and went Look, out I'm shopping not gonna lie. for a doll. I'm not going to lie. Whether I had a daughter or not, if I walked out of my house and I saw one of these dolls, I would be like, what the... Daughter or not, the- if it was me and it looked I would, remotely I would like be on the me. phone going like, Ernie, get the team over here. We got a situation. Seriously. Like, this is, this is not cool kind of thing, right? So I, I understand where the family is coming I from. Buy a, if I were to buy a China doll and had it sitting in my room, that's scary enough. <laughs> that's scary let alone enough, right? turning up on my porch. No, that, that definitely is. It, it's a little, a little, yeah. It would, it would put my nerves on end, that's for sure. So, uh, but Louis like the mystery was solved. It was just a, a lady, you know, try, trying to be nice, which, hey, in this day and age, to find somebody that's willing to do something nice, it's become quite a rare thing. So uh, um, let's all do our part so that that is not the case any further. However, think twice if you're planning on putting dolls, out, dolls in your neighbor's uh, <laughs> front door now i sent you a story uh, i don't know if you have the the, the page uh, up on your screen but uh this one this one's actually from your neck of the woods comes from uh the bbc news out there in england uh and from my neck of the woods <laughs> your neck of the woods and it's apparently uh you know the, the the cops out there in england get some pretty strange calls right and and according to this story by the bbc it, it they've gotten calls about zombies ghosts and witches and according okay. to the, to these numbers right between two, uh, 2011 and 2013 they received two calls about zombies 15 calls about ghosts and 55 calls about witches what the hell is that all about Genevieve like w- 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 culturally, culturally what's happening over there sorry I kind of half blanked out there scanning between the chat in here but um i'm glad i'm <laughs> glad you're so focused you i'm glad you're my co-host i mean jesus <laughs> all right it's, it's pretty good thing we're not p- good thing we're not flying a plane 
that's fine. That's fine. You got autopilot, so you'll right. be easier. Um, wait, is this is between this, um, 2011? Nine, nine let me calls. just repeat it. Okay. Between 2011 and 2013, the police have received two calls about zombies, 15 calls about ghosts, but and 55 calls nine about calls witches. Yeah, these are calls to the police, like people calling the police regarding these things. But is so this just in a specific geographical area? Uh, Birmingham East. Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. So actually, that's actually, we could we could probably break it down as well if uh, if um, this thing But your question. Um, so the, these are the areas. I'm I'm not familiar with the geography of okay, England, well, Birmingham but Birmingham East. They received 11 calls. Birmingham North, 9 calls. Birmingham South, no, 1 that, call. No, but that's all in the same area. Yeah, way. Birmingham West, 8 calls. Then Coventry, 9 calls. Dudley, 3. Solihull? That must be like a smaller town. Yeah, 5. Sandwell, 7. Okay, yeah, we don't need to break yeah, it down so much. But no, no, I just meant like, was the point you were trying to make um, based on statistics that were high in the specific geographical area. Well, it seems like England right. is, is quite prone to stories about witches and magicians. No, but the thing right. is, you're giving me statistics and asking me a question without giving me comparative well, statistics. Well, I'm just saying, like, culturally, what, what is going on but there? I mean, like, like let's witches, compare it to the U.S. Maybe the U.S. has five times as many, but you just haven't told me. Well, I don't think that the U.S. Uh, come on, we're all seeing rational individuals here in this but country. But I feel that when you get reports... And stories in the news, online, they are much more likely to come from the Americas, whether that's Latin or, like, North America. Very rarely do you hear of some from the UK. And I think if you could, from somewhere, pull up statistics, you'd probably find they were more likely, you know, a lot more occur in the US. Anyway, in terms of the UK, I don't know, like, especially with corporations like the BBC I feel that I mean they don't they don't um portray themselves as particularly conservative but the UK you know generally speaking is pretty darn conservative and that sort of stuff doesn't get put in the news it really doesn't well it's interesting that at they all I mean I I don't watch the news that often but you know I I listen to the radio a bit and Look at the news, read newspapers a bit, and you don't see that stuff. A lot less than you do here, and even if you did hear that stuff, I think people wouldn't wouldn't put it out there. Well, and just to go with uh, what we talked about in the first hour, uh, over the same period of time, there were 19 calls about UFO sightings. Mm-hmm. So it looks like uh, you know there there were a couple though I know you <coughs> which I know because you mentioned them to me there was one in Kent which is the county that I lived in for oh, a right, while. Oh right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there there are a few. I mean, I guess maybe geographically speaking, in terms mm-hmm. of you know density of population, they might be the same, uh, roughly the same, because you've got to remember that the UK compared to the US is. No. Pretty small. I mean, England itself is smaller than California. But there is a country, so many people. A country is smaller than, you know, a whole state. That's insane. So maybe if you compare them that way, yeah, the, it's quite high. I don't know. Now let's, uh, let's, turn to the, let's turn our eye to something a little more local to us here in, in Southern California. Venice Beach. This one, uh, you saw how surprised I was when I read this one because it, you know, it just popped up uh, earlier in the day, probably about five, six hours ago. Um, one dead and a dozen injured after lightning strike hits Venice Beach. 
Now, we've been having hot-ass weather out here. Like, it's been hot. So to hear that lightning struck Venice Beach and it killed one person and injured a dozen others, um, uh, that's just, that was just unexpected. And, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with the families out there. I mean, this is, I don't even know. Um, what, was that a suggestion for the Urban Dictionary? Now? That was a suggestion from Tony. I told him I'd, I'd patch it through to you. What is it? <laughs> it's G. You way too dope <laughs> because it's G U way, which I'm like my initial and my name. <laughs> You're actually laughing at oh this. Oh dear, <laughs> yes, I am. I think that's pretty brilliant. I, I meant I it. I think we're gonna have to run with that now. I think, I think we're going to have to... Uh, That's so brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot of puns on my name. Yeah, that, that one's pretty good. <laughs> that one was pretty good. It's, it's almost as good as that Instagram account he's got going. Hopefully you hopefully got this week's shirt, because last year, you know he stole my picture? Yeah, the because po- that's it. it's difficult to get a good picture sometimes. I tell you to pose Hang on. purposefully. That's okay. what I tell you to do. There you go, Tony. Do you do some sort of... Yeah. Keep it still. He's got to like get the screen cap up or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. Hopefully, hopefully that worked. Um, no, but yeah, it's uh, what is it? WOTR shirts or something? No, uh, it's it's pretty genius. Wow, my computer just ran out of battery. That's what happens when you don't charge it. Okay, let's move on. I can't because anyway, the stories are on my computer. Well, you know, you were talking about the um, lightning thing, and you were you were pretty shocked. But then I, I was trying to say that. You know, it's a lightning. You can't pick and choose where it happens, and it can happen anywhere. It's one of those things where it's, like, a little more common than a meteor hitting you, but it's one of those things where you think to yourself, I could literally be struck by something falling from the sky right now. It's like, I think, I remember reading, it was, like, in some sort of zoo, aquarium, whatever, mm-hmm. one of those random facts they throw out at you, and it, it said something like, you know, more people are killed by coconuts hitting the head every year than being eaten by a shark. It was one of those random... But the thing is, like, loads of people killed by, like, falling coconuts every year. And it's it's just one well, of those things... What is it? More, more people are killed by cows than sharks or something? That's the other... Uh, but another it's, it's statistic? one of those things. Anything could... Like, the thing is, if... I've always speculated about this. This is a random t- tangent, but... A, yep, you could be hit by... An, something from falling from the sky at any point right like mm-hmm. eg like some sort of comet and b the next line of thought might be all oh, but people would warn us etc etc but i think like if anything kind of disastrous like that were to happen i don't think people would tell us mm-hmm. they wouldn't i mean the whole idea behind you know um like disasters that are about to happen is that authorities don't want to scare people they don't want to freak people out so they just don't tell them they'd rather just let it happen and i think that if something were to happen to the earth we wouldn't know about it so i always feel like anything could happen at any moment i think my computer has been hacked by the nsa that's the way i feel right now what's the way you feel is that feeling is that like a, a facebook status feeling yeah yeah, this is weird. I'm not even playing like this. What's happened? It just gone blank. Some weird stuff happened. But anyways, that being said, the next story, which actually um, 
it's 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 quite a tragedy i mean malaysian airlines right flight 17 mm -hmm. uh, being shot down apparently by pro-russian rebels um as you can imagine the the the, the conspiracies um have have um, popped up regarding this a lot of people are saying that it's in fact uh uh what was the the one that went missing flight uh 370 malaysian I think, airlines i think so uh, that this was actually the flight. However, uh, you know, I'm always I'm I'm always wary about some of the um, the uh, conspiracies that pop up. And I guess um, if this helps bring a grain of truth into it, I know that your stepmom, who's Malaysian, right, mm -hmm. uh, was in Malaysia at the time that this occurred. Mm -hmm. And uh, could you tell us what what she uh, she said to you about this? Um, well, the thing is, like, um, the first time I brought it up kind of properly was when people were saying, "Oh, you know, it never really happened. They're making this shit up. It's so unlikely." And at least from what I've heard, you know, like one of our family friends, um, her husband was killed in a flight. He was just, I think, he was boarding in Vienna. I think that's what I was told. Mm -hmm. And he was going back. I guess he must be like an expat there or something. He was going back to visit his family. And yeah, he, he was killed in the flight. And I mean, that's pretty real. And, you know, I'm pretty sure no one made that up. He left two kids behind. I think they're in just their early teens. Mm -hmm. And as so I don't like saying I know for a fact, but I pretty much know for, for a fact that it's not fake. I mean, that... That was real. Mm -hmm. And I don't think at least that that basic fact of, like, that basic element of the story is made up. Um, and now, what, what, I guess, obviously what raises a lot of eyebrows was the, uh, the passengers on board Flight 17, right? Mm -hmm. Which um, early reports were that these were AIDS researchers. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, and we've come to find out that, yeah, I believe, like, uh, a couple, if not a few of them, were AIDS researchers, but they were also, like, activists. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the, the, the theory or, or the, who people are looking to blame is the pharmaceutical industry because, obviously, they make a lot of money uh, selling all the, uh, the the pills that people take to treat this disease, you know, the, the, this virus, this condition. And, uh, and obviously one of the first things, like I said, was, well, you know, they kill them so that they couldn't find a cure, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, you know, I... Uh, part of me, I guess my gut on this one would be that Maybe it was just a very, very unfortunate situation. However, one of the other things that came up was that, you know, the FAA and, and some of the, uh, the, the Federal Aerodynamic Association. No, <laughs> I can't. I should know what the FAA stands for. I can't remember verbatim. Somebody Google it. Tell me, please help me. But uh, uh Apparently, I haven't I haven't looked into this, but one of the reports I read was that whenever there is an area in conflict, you know, an area in war, uh, airliners are instructed to fly around these areas. Can I just butt in before a number, I butt in again later? A number of 
airplanes flew around this. Yeah, most except not airplanes. It's airlines. One, airliners flew around But except this one. It wasn't just this one. It was a whole number of airlines that didn't have this area ruled out. So it wasn't just that flight. It wasn't just that airline. It was an area that was declared safe. Mm -hmm. So they're like, it's declared safe. Why not, right? But how could it be declared safe? It was declared safe. It wasn't. A, it wasn't safe a battlefield. Safe was the last thing that. I know, wanted. but it, it was declared safe, and it was safe on the map of like you know some airlines were like, oh, let's not do it anyway. Let's give it a benefit of doubt and be doubly sure, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But then a number of airlines were like, come on, let's be rational here. It's declared safe. Let's just go with it. And unfortunately, that was one of the flights. Personally. I I think I think probably if you look into it and I haven't but a number of Malaysian airline flights probably went through there as well as other airlines. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was just that flight. It was just some chose not to some chose to use that route. Now, uh, you know, I'm I'm reading here that the but plane had 100 of the world's top eight researchers on board, all of whom are now dead. Uh Can I just oh, I just want to say two things because they were you're Go. kind of moving on. Um, first of all, okay, maybe it was other people, but it seems a, a long roundabout route to go via these people, etc. Because I mean, it's pretty much been confirmed, right? That I think it was a book missile um, fired, or that the Russians were in possession of, etc. So if that sort of theory were true then it means they went through the russians and presumably paid them or something and encouraged them to fire etc etc which seems a lot to go through and also seems very un an unlikely task for anyone to take on even if they are rebels even if there are kind of you know rowdy supporters whatever like um secondly i don't think it's as easy as not as easy but I don't think the solution is to just kill the people who are researching something because, A, I think it's a very plausible theory, which I, I remember I was told this back in school by, you know, a really great um, philosophy and, like, religion teacher. And she said, I honestly believe there is a cure for cancer. There mm -hmm. is a cure for AIDS, etc., etc. They're just not releasing it. And the point I'm trying to make is that it's not just as easy as finding a cure. You still have to release it, and that's a whole different operation. So the solution wouldn't be to kill the people that are finding the solution, because even if they um, kind of found the cure, releasing... Like, they could, they could stop the process at the releasing stage, you get what I mean? Yeah. So killing these people and like even if they killed some of the people, the, the research is still out there. Come on. It wasn't just like they had one paper copy, right? It's on the computers. Like it just doesn't make sense rationally for anyone to go that huge length to kill people when killing the people, the human beings won't stop the development of a cure. Or if it's already developed, it won't, you know, stop that process at that point either. Okay, let's. Uh, I'm going to read something real quick here because um, we're running out of time. But um, here are some things to, uh, that I found interesting 
um, as far as uh, uh, th as far as what you know this this incident is concerned, you know a lot of people are saying that this is going to be like the beginning of World War III. You know the uh, the relationship between the U.S. and Russia has been uh, quickly deteriorating, and obviously this doesn't help a heck of a lot. Um, uh, the, like I said, the first people that, that people are going to look to is obviously the pharmaceutical companies. You know these are the, the these are companies with a lot of money, and people wouldn't put past them the possibility that they could use the money to um, uh, cause a, a tragedy of this magnitude. Uh, one interesting fact that, that can be uh, brought up, actually, if we want to connect an, another plane-related tragedy is 9-11. Uh, you know, the, the, they, they, they said that, you know, the flight that crashed in Pennsylvania evaporated and there was no debris. Here is a plane that was shot down with a surface-to-air missile Uh, in midair at 33,000 uh, feet, and, and, and the pieces were scattered over, you know, a radius of miles. Chunks of airplane, pieces of airplane, bodies, luggage, you know, their belongings could be picked up. Yet, in the case of, of this incident during 9-11, they want us to believe that the hole in the ground is where the plane disintegrated. And I think that's something that a lot of people have been bringing up to, to the attention of the people that continue to say, well, you know, 9-11, you know, the, the official story is the truth. Um, um, is the discrepancy, does the discrepancy lie in the fact that there weren't any objects? Yeah, there was nothing. Up? As in, like, it was fake, there was nothing else in Correct. the plane. But don't you think that I'm not saying, like, you know, I don't know all the science behind this, but that such a high impact and the combustion, etc., could just blow it up and just disintegrate it. Really? It can, no, but the, the thing really? is, no, wait, just listen. The thing is, this um, Malaysian <laughs> Airlines flight, <laughs> it was shot in the air, but it didn't all explode. Right. You get what I mean? It didn't just all explode. It was, a lot of it was intact. It just flew into pieces. Right. But it didn't combust. It so you're saying, so you, you actually believe that there no, is a possibility that the plane being flown into the ground would not leave a single... Not into the ground. Well, that's what, that's what, that's what they claim, that the passengers took control of the plane and flew the wait, plane wait, what, right which, into the which ground. Which one are you talking about now? Not the one that flew into the towers, but the one over Pennsylvania. That, okay. Yeah. That... According to the official story, the passengers took over. No, the but I was I was going to say it. I think uh, an impact on the ground. Either way, I'm not. But you know, I don't know all the details. But, but I think impact on the ground is different. Like a, a sudden combustion is different uh, from being hit by something. Is, is it really oh, okay? We just watched the knowing not too long ago, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we see a plane hit the ground. Yeah. No. Okay. I'm again. I say. I don't but know do the you, details. I don't do know. Do you believe that it is possible for a plane to disintegrate? That as in that nothing can be yes. found. I think it's very, very unlikely. But I'm putting the possibility okay. out there. As in, all, expl all explosions are different. All all crashes, all accidents are different. Okay, right? fair enough. Sometimes fair a enough. car can hit something and it explodes. You know, you see it in movies. <clears throat> but sometimes a car hits something and it doesn't explode. Okay, we're running out of time. But I'm going to leave people with these three questions, which I found very, very valid. And I want to thank Dan for uh, sending me this link. Uh, because, uh, um, uh, you know, like I said, this is obviously a, a very tragic event and, and you know, I, I don't take uh, the, the death of anyone or a group of people, for that matter, lightly. But here are three questions that I think we should all think about.
and and try to figure out. Number one, why was flight MH17 flying through a war zone where 10 aircraft had been shut down? Number two, why two Ukrainian fighter jets follow Malaysian Airlines minutes before the crash? And the last question is why Ukraine's air traffic controllers instructed MH17 to fly lower? As we all know, cruising altitude for a commercial um, airliner is 35,000 feet, 35, feet, I'm sorry. And uh, this particular airliner was instructed to fly lower. And at the time that it was shot, uh, it was flying at 33,000 feet. Now, this was also, from what I remember reading, a very specialized type of weapon. One of the very few that can fly that high and cause that much damage at that All I want to know is what the hell was Sarah Palin doing? She says she can see Russia from her house. Can she? She could. She could. I think she Russia's She could tweet it. I think Jesus Russia's Christ, Palin! Big. Come on. No, but again, our our thoughts and prayers are, are with the families. And you know, like like uh, we said earlier, uh, your uh, stepmom had a friend who lost her husband on that flight, so we can safely say that this was not uh, this was not flight 370 being you know whatever used for some kind of other weird undercover operation but uh anyways we that's about all the time we have in tonight's episode i think we covered a lot of stuff tonight i want to thank travis walton for calling in at the beginning of the show and, and giving us that great interview if you miss any part of it it'll be up on mixler uh soon uh i also want to thank susan for making that interview possible thank you susan so much uh it, it was uh literally one of my dream interviews come true so thank you so much i want to thank ernie for calling in, giving us an update on everything haunted down in haunted Orange County. Check out their website, hauntedorangecounty.com. And uh, most importantly, I want to thank everyone that stuck around and uh, tuned into the show tonight. Thank you so much, guys. You are the reason why we're here week in and week out. Don't forget to check out West of the Rockies on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash West of the Rockies. Also, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash WOTR radio. Uh, check out the website, WOTRradio.com. And uh, uh, so always, I'm Engineer Frank on Twitter, Jaime Roque, who will be joining us soon on Twitter, and Genevieve Uway on Twitter, who now has a proper name for her segment, courtesy of our friend Tony there. What, what is it again? I think it was G-U-Way something. Wait, wait, wait. Way, way to plug the damn thing. No, no G-U-Way too dope. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Uh, the more I hear it, the more I laugh. Uh, thank you, Tony, for, for that. Uh, and um, stick around because No Added Flavors, I believe, is coming up with your dose of uh, all kinds of music to uh, keep it interesting. And uh, you can brag with your friends about your uh, wide musical knowledge. By the way, it was Federal Aviation Association. There we go. I was close. <laughs> FAA. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to go out with this jam. Take it easy. Take care. Be safe. God bless. Don't do anything too crazy. We want to see you back next weekend. we got another interesting show packed. More details to come, so stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter, WTRRadio.com. Enjoy this jam when No Out of Flavors is coming up. <laughs> no Out of Flavors. <laughs> take care, guys. Bye. Independent FM. New York, London, Philadelphia, Japan, Chicago, Paris, San Francisco, Tijuana, Los Angeles, California. The Independent FM, Indie Radio, live from Swing House Studios in Hollywood. This is the all-new Independent FM.